right, praise the Lord. We thank God for his goodness. We thank him for his mercy. We thank him because he keeps doing great things. We are blessed beyond compare. I am so thankful this morning. I uh, know God is able. He's been uh, working with me and helping me. Um, I've recently um, gotten sick uh, with COVID and the Lord's bringing me through that. So I praise the Lord for that. And I praise the Lord for bringing all of you who have suffered with that or anything else that in, in which you've experienced God just uh, just miraculously healing you and helping you and strengthening you, whether he used doctors or whether he just dropped the blessing out of the sky. However, God wants to bless us. I'll tell you one thing. I am satisfied with that. I don't have any complaints with how God blesses, whether he uses the skill of a physician or he himself sends it by an angel or a touch or a word, whatever way God blesses, I'm telling you, I want to be blessed that way. Amen. Praise God. We are going to pick up this uh, lesson here that we began uh, a few weeks ago um, in which we were talking about um, believing um, uh, to see and believing to see or when believing is seeing. For those of you who have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, we're going to look at verses 13 through 17, I believe. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Um, this is um, one of our, as I've said before, uh, one of our side lessons or lesson in our Bible Matter series, um, which are uh, pretty much independent Bible studies that are um, based purely on whatever God gives in the moment. So I can be studying for one thing that I'm going to be teaching over a course of time, then all of a sudden God may inter interrupt that and give me something specific, a word um, to talk about. And so um, about two weeks ago, the Lord did just that uh, in Second Corinthians. And so we're going to continue that. I thought it was going to be about one lesson. It looks like it might end up being about three. This is the second lesson. Um, Lord willing, we'll finish it all up. If not, then um, there will be another lesson in order to wrap this up. Amen. Uh, second Corinthians chapter three, verses uh, 13 through 17. Then the word of God says this, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We bless him and thank him as always. And may God add a blessing to those that are not just readers of the word and not just hearers of the word, but are doers of the word. We have said it countless times. We continue to say it. If you want to be blessed, okay, you've got to obey the word of God. It is not enough to just read it, and it's not enough to just hear it. You've got to do it, and it has to be done consistently. When you drop the ball, you got to get back up. God has given you grace and made provision for you to make mistakes. You don't have to allow your mistakes to keep you down. Jesus went to the cross and, and, and sacrificed his life and rose on the third day with all power of heaven and earth in his hand. Why? So that you can get up and so that you can keep getting up. You're going to drop the ball long as you live in this world and you've got this, this body of flesh and I've got this body of flesh. We're going to have some problems. We're going to have some times where we drop the ball, but Jesus paid the price for all of that so that when you drop the ball, all you got to do is repent and you can pick it back up. Amen. Amen. So those are good things. So remember that the blessing is in the obedience. Now we're talking about believing 
to um, to see. Okay, um, sight and belief on all of these 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 different things. We're talking about when believing um, it becomes seeing or synonymous with um, seeing. We're talking about all of these these different things. And and um, when we last talked about these uh, many of these things, we we ended with saying, encouraging um, uh, ourselves to continue to pray for one another, to continue to pray no matter what the situation looks like, no matter what the circumstance is, to continue to pray, continue to believe that God is going to do great and miraculous things. David said, I'd have fainted, you know, had I not believed to see the goodness of the Lord while in the land of the living. And we read this in the book of Psalms, chapter 27, um, around about the 14th or so verse, or the, uh, right around near the very last uh, few verses of, of Psalms 20, 27. That hope, believing that you're going to see God's goodness, believing that God is going to come through. And so we said at the end of that, that we got to be encouraged we, we, to, to continue to pray, not even, no matter how bleak it looks. Things can look bleak, and I'm telling you, man, I don't. It just seems like um, this last week, it's just been. It seemed like everything that could break loose did break loose, and 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 I'll be honest, it it at times it left me with a with a picture that really didn't look so good. But God is greater than any picture that this world might prevent or present rather the images that this world shows you the image the things that are happening there is unrest all over the world fighting is breaking out all over the place and all wickedness is at an all-time high nevertheless jesus prepared us for these times the word of god told us that in the last days perilous times should come and we are living in a day of great peril and if you allow yourself to get caught up in the peril, forgetting that the God who sits in heaven and resides in our hearts, that same God has prepared us ahead of time so that when we would see these things, our heart would not be troubled, but we would know that our redemption draws nigh that the return of the Lord is soon at hand. What does that mean? It means that trouble will not last always. It'll feel like it sometimes. It even looked like it. But the reality is the Lord told us ahead of time so that we would not be afraid during these times, but we would be able to turn the page mentally and get our focus on where it's supposed to be, which is on the Lord and doing his will. Why? Because no matter what goes on in this world, the Lord has promised to take care of his children. And the word of God says that he is not slack concerning his promises. Amen. So I know you've seen a lot of stuff and it looks weird, looks bad, all kinds of things. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hold on to him, hold on to his words, be obedient to what the Lord says. Now, nevertheless, in our scripture, as we, as we um, have read in, in 2 Corinthians 3 and 13, we, 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 when we talked about this, um, we realized on last, on two weeks ago, that this set of scripture when um, the, the apostle here is talking about the veil that remains um, over um, the people so that um, so that they are so that they're unable um, to, to see and, and he talks and he references this veil that was over Moses okay and he talks about how that the children of Israel couldn't really see Moses because of these of this veil and so we took this back we took that and we went back to the original reference okay what was Paul quoting here what was he getting at what was he talking about where was all this coming from when he discussed when he brings up this topic of 
this veil in 2 Corinthians 3, 13 through 17? Well, we said that it goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 34, verses 33 and 30 through 35. Exodus chapter 34, okay, verses 33 through 35. So this second Corinthian scripture that we have is a reference or is referencing the Exodus scripture, Exodus 34, verses 33 through 35. And the word of God reads as follows. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out and he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. Okay, verse 35, and the children of Israel, amen, saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone and Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. Amen. Amen. So what's happening here is, is that is as Moses has gone up to the mount and, and he spent time with the with the with with the Lord. Now this is his, his second going. Okay. So the first one that we talked about, Moses went up and he received the commandments of the Lord. And uh, while he was up there, the children of Israel got completely beside themselves and ridiculous. And the Lord was wroth with them and had a, just a major, major, major problem with all of that. And, um, and, um, and, and so after the sin of the people of God in the wilderness, um, while Moses was up on Mount Sinai, he receiving the words of the Lord, um, you know, for, uh, for the people, which would be uh, come to be known as the laws of God, amen, or the commandments of God, the anger of God was at a level in which, uh, because of the people's sin, while Moses was up there the first time, okay, it got so bad, and it was so, and it was, and it was God's anger and wrath was so kindled, that God was really ready to just go ahead and be done with them, he was ready to wipe all of them out and you can read about that amen in exodus uh, 32 you can read that starting at verse 7 and you can go through verse uh verse number 10 amen <clears throat> exodus 32 verse 7 through 10 and in fact let's go ahead and read that and the lord said to moses go get thee down for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed un there, thereunto and said, these be the gods of Israel which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people. And behold, it is a stiff-necked people, verse number 10. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them. I will make of thee a great nation. And when we talked about this last week, I said, God got so mad with these people, with these folks, that he was really, he was ready to get rid of all of them. And he was willing to start over with Moses. Amen. Amen. See, Moses, see the people, this, now this was the first going up when Moses went up to, to the amount in order to receive the, um, the commandments the first time. Okay. Verse number eight, the Lord said that they have turned aside quickly out of the way, which I commanded them and have made them a molten calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed thereunto and said, these be the gods of Israel, which have brought up out of the land of Egypt. God had delivered the children of Israel and had taken the people out of Egypt. But watch this. But ver what verse eight shows us is that while God had delivered the people out of Egypt, amen, Egypt was still in the heart of the people. Amen. Amen. God brought them out of the land of Egypt, but their gross behavior, 
their their sinful actions show that while they were physically out of the land of Egypt, spiritually, they were still captive. Spiritually, they were still beholden by the ways of Egypt. In other words, they had Egypt still in their heart. They had physically come into a new location, but spiritually, they resided in the same place that they were. And I want to tell somebody, and I want to set this out, out, out there for somebody, listen, your heart got to be changed. It's not enough to just change all of the external things. When you're walking in sin and you're doing things that are wrong and you have not just been living your own life and all these different, you may come to a point because God's going to try to get your attention where you realize that, you know what, on the outside, there are some things that I need to change. There are some physical things that I need to change. Maybe the cast of characters that I hang around with, maybe the things that I'm actually doing, physical things, external things. But if you're going to be successful and truly change, you can't just change the external. You got to have the internal changed as well. You need a new heart is what I'm telling you. Because on your own, you're going to only ever get so far. The children of Israel physically were no longer in Egypt, but their heart was very much still captive of Egypt. Because they brought in verse number eight of our scripture here in Exodus um, chapter 32, verses 7 through 10. Verses 8 shows us that they attempted to bring with them the same idolatrous um, and the same um, polytheistic belief system that the Egyptians had, which is the belief in many different gods. They, this, they brought that same thing out there. And not only did they bring it with them, but they took the works of God that he and he alone had done, and they plainly attributed it to these false gods that wasn't even real. Oh, yeah, God, God had a problem with that all day long. God has a problem with that. And he's going to always have a problem with that. He's going to always have a problem with that. Always, always, always. And so God was ready to wipe them out. Brothers and sisters, God gets tired of dealing with us. You got to understand that. Some of us, you, you carrying on such foolishness and, and wickedness that it just defies logic. You just will not do what God wants you to do. You will not do the right thing. You are beholden to your own ways. And I want to tell you something, God gets tired of dealing with us. And you need to understand this very plainly, because not only does God get tired of us, but the word of God is very plain that he will not always fight with us. Look at Genesis chapter six, verse three. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now, prior to this, in this time in, in Genesis, man lived for hundreds of years, but the wickedness of man got so bad that God got tired of dealing with man. And so God put a cap or a limit on man's years. He said, uh -uh, I'm not getting ready to deal with this for centuries and centuries and centuries. I'm not getting ready to deal with the wickedness of a man for centuries and centuries and centuries. God said, no, 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 absolutely not. He said, no, look, his days shall be 120 years. You got to understand at this point, these, these, in those days, man lived for hundreds of years, 800 years plus. Amen. Amen. And you need to understand that's a long time to put up with wickedness. That is a long time to deal with unrighteousness. That's a long time to deal with gross behavior. That's a long time 
to put up with disobedience. God got so frustrated and got upset in those days that he put a limit on man's days. And I want to tell somebody, God gets tired of dealing with our sin and our disobedience and our unwillingness to surrender. And when the word of God says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Amen. That means that I'm not, that means that he's not going to always contend. It means he's not going to always argue. It means that he's not going to always fight with you. I hope you understand it. God's not going to keep telling you to do right only for you to continuously or for me to continuously to do wrong. God trying to get your attention, God trying to get my attention, and he's trying to captivate our attention now so we can turn from our unrighteousness now. We take God for granted, thinking that, you know what, it's going to always be tomorrow that I can get it right. It ain't going to always, listen, there will be a tomorrow, but there may not always be a tomorrow in which you can get it right. At some point, your tomorrow is going to be your final tomorrow. And your final tomorrow is going to be when you stand before the Lord and you got to give an account. I got to give an account. That business of sin and unrighteousness, that got to be handled now while it's breath in your body and you got the opportunity to surrender to the Lord. Don't put it off. You're not going to get away with sin. I will never get away with sin. God gets tired of it. And the word of God, please, please, please make sure you mark that scripture down. That is Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. He said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. He said, I'm not going to keep arguing with you. I'm not going to keep fighting with you. In Isaiah, he says, come, let us reason together. God says, I want to talk with you. I want to discuss things with you. But God says, I'm not going to always fight with you. How long? Friends, how long are you going to keep fighting against God? You're not going to get away with it. Sin will cause God to withhold good things from us. Look at Isaiah chapter 59 and look at verse number two. I said sin will cause God to withhold good things from us. We might think we're getting away. But when stuff start breaking down and falling apart, you're going to start scratching your head and you're going to start wondering why, what's going on? Well, I'm here today to help you connect the dots, to help you figure out what might, what's probably going wrong. Isaiah 59 and 2 says this, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Uh Uh-oh. Are you wondering why for some of you, why your prayers keep just going up and it seems like it ain't even hitting nothing. It ain't like God ain't even listening. Because as long as you continue to walk in sin, as long as I continue to walk in disobedience, trying to get away with as much as I can, knowing that it's wrong before the Lord, guess what? He is not listening. Walking in sin will cause your prayers to not get heard. And I don't know about you, but when I look around where we are in today, right now, we are in some praying times. You are not in a situation where you can afford to not have God listen to your prayers. You need God to hear you. I need God to hear me. But as long as I walk in in shameful disobedience, disgusting and perverse sins, and all sins are disgusting and perverse to God. As long as I keep trying to do the things that are not so bad. 
just a little bit of this. Well, it's bad to God. I don't care how innocent you and I call it or the world labels it. I'm here to set the record straight. Sin is still sin. And last time I checked, all sin carries the death penalty. You can't get away with it. Sin is going to result in the death of your soul. You don't want that. You don't want the second death. Which is when your soul is eternally separated from God. You don't want that. Look at Jeremiah 5, 23 through 26. But this people hath a revolting and rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and the latter in his season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned away these things and your sins have withholding good things from you. For among my people are found wicked men. They lie, they lay wait as he that set a snares. They set a trap that catch men. Do you hear the word of the Lord? He said, in your sins, verse 25, have withholding good things from you. And as I said, sin will cause God with, to withhold good things from us. Sin never works. I know it seems appealing. Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. It all seems like it's going to work. Seems like it's innocent. Seems like it's not that bad, but it just seems like that. It's not actually that. The word of God says the wages of sin is still death. This is what I meant when I said a little earlier that sin still carries the death penalty. All sin does. The wages of sin is death. It is That is written, friends. That cannot be undone. When God puts principles and puts things in motion, they cannot be undone. If he say what's done in the dark is going to come to the light, it is coming to the light. You're not going to get away with it. It never works and it never will. Because it's not designed to work. God has already spoken against it. And how long are we going to continue in that which God has plainly spoken against? Moses went up to the Mount, Mount Sinai the first time and the people just got ridiculous. Amen. Amen. And that was a sad thing. But when we get to our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 through 17, and he starts talking about Moses. This And I told you that this is a reference or it's referring to Exodus 34, verses 33 through 35. In this particular instance, that is, that's a different outing up to the Mount Sinai. That's the second one, okay? But for just a moment, we're talking about the first one. So for those of you who are wondering, well, what does this have to do with, um, with what, with, with, um, with Second Corinthians, we're setting the stage here. We're going to get to that one, to that second outing. But for just a moment, I want to talk to you a little bit about that first one um, outing where Moses goes up to the mountain and the children of Israel just go, just just go bananas down in the in the valley. 
and 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 begin to and they and they they have Aaron the priests create this false god this molten calf and they worship it and they begin to engage in the Egyptian practices see because though the children of Israel Israel were in bondage for over 400 years amen under the yoke of Egypt though they were in bondage while in bondage they picked up some heathenistic practices and when you get to exodus amen chapter 32 verses 7 through 10 which we just read and in that verse in the in that eighth verse amen when you get there you realize that the heathenistic practices the wicked practices of the egyptians although they had enslaved the people of god the ways of their of the of their taskmasters at that time had rubbed off on many of the people so though they were slaves of egypt at one time they had adopted yet and still they had adopted the egyptian practices and one of those practices was that of the worship of multiple false gods. That was part of their practice. That was part of the Egyptian culture. And so in verse number eight, when the Lord says in Exodus chapter 32, in verse number eight, when he says they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, that means they turned, they, they quickly abandoned the way or the path that I gave them, okay? They have made them a molten calf, right? And they have worshiped it and have sacrificed un the effects and sacrificed thereunto. Now it sounds like they just made one false god. Or that they just worship one false god. But look at the next verse. This and said, These be thy gods, plural. So whether they had an image of every single one of them or not, we only know about the one, the golden calf, that, that, that the molten calf that they made. But that phrase, these be the gods, and this was the phrase, this is what they said. After it was all, these be the gods of Israel. That was a slap in the face to God because when they said that, they were referring to the false gods of Egypt. So whether they had an actual idol in their hand, they were worshiping all of them. Do you hear what I'm saying? They were worshiping the idea that they had in their mind. And the idea that they had in their mind was that there were multiple gods. When in fact, there is only one. Idolatry is not just the worship of a physical thing that you have placed or a tangible thing that you have taken and placed in the seat of God. That idolatry is not just a, an idol or a statue. No, 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 no. And verse number eight shows you they had a physical thing that they were worshiping. But they also, in their minds, were worshiping every false god. That evidently, they presently knew, having learned it from Egypt. It is easy to walk in the path of idolatry. And I want to warn you, stay away from idols. Even if the idols are your own concepts and your own ideas, the way you think it is, according to how you feel about it, this, that, and the other, be careful that you don't substitute your ideas, your concepts, your theories, your way of thinking. Be careful 
that you don't take God down and you set your own ideas up. No, it might not be a physical thing that you're setting up, but you can, one can take their own ways and practices and things and their, and, 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 and their own habits, their own ideologies, and they can set that up and those things can become idols. Be careful, stay away from that. Stay humble before God. Realize that what you have, God gave you. Humble yourself and do not assume that you got this thing all together. Even on your best day, you're going to always need God. Don't get so caught up in your own ways that you forget that you had sin that needed to be forgiven. Don't get so caught up that you forget that you can make mistakes. Don't get so, so don't be so quick to jump on the bandwagon of other people's sins and failures and all of these, forgetting that you yourself have sinned, faults and failures, and you needed to be forgiven. Don't move too quick that you become enamored with the way you doing things. And your way is the right way, must be the right way. Listen, let me tell you something. God's way is the right way. And if you ain't doing it his way, you doing it the wrong way. I don't care how unoffensive your way might be to those around you. If you are not doing it God's way, you are doing it the devil's way. It doesn't matter how to yourself it, it you you have kept and, and and you don't seem to be bothering anybody and it don't seem all that bad if you are doing your own thing and not God's thing it is the same as doing the devil's thing and you're not gonna win I'm not gonna win so we want to stay away from that Amen I think John told us little children. Beware of idols. Keep yourself from idols. Amen. It says, keep yourselves from idols. Don't worship your own ideas. Don't start writing your own press and your own newsletters. And, and he, <laughs> no, no, no. And then start believing all, the, all, all, all your own hype. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Because when you do that, you'll start to move God out of his place and you'll start to move yourself slowly right on in. And no, it might not be a physical idol or a statue or something like that. And most people nowadays that that may not that that isn't always what their the form that their idol, their idolatry takes place. It's not a physical thing. They just worship their own practices and ideas and everything else. And that's just as bad. That's still a form of idolatry. Amen. Amen. So the children of Israel get beside themselves. Yet Moses interceded for the people. Look at Exodus chapter 32. And now look at verses 11 through 17. And Moses besought the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought from, brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from this fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. In other words, he said, Lord, change your mind. Don't be mad. Please don't be mad. Change your mind. I know, I know what you said, but change your mind. Change your mind. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thy own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil, which he thought to do unto his people. It means he changed his mind. 
And Moses turned and went down from the mount with the two tables of the testimony, where in his hand the tables were written on both their sides. On the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God graven upon the, ta the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. They were just partying and reveling and doing their own thing down there as, 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 as Moses and Joshua made their way down, began to make their way down so much so that Joshua thought it was a noise of war going on in the camp. And they were nothing but sin going on down there. It wasn't war. Not at least the way Joshua thought it was. No, that was the noise of sin that was going on down there. Nevertheless, Moses prayed for them. In the midst of what they did, in the midst of, their, of, of all of that, Moses prayed for them. He interceded for the people. God looks for his people to stand in the gap and to intercede for others. Look at Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. I'm gonna encourage somebody to keep standing in the gap for those that you know who are standing in the need of prayer. And truth be told, everybody is standing in the need of prayer. We all need prayer. God looks for his people to stand in the gap and to intercede for others. Ezekiel 22 reveals this to us. Look at verse 30, says this, and I sought for a man among them. This is God talking. That should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Do you hear the, the God say, he, 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 he looked among men. The children of Israel at this time, during the time of Ezekiel, just again, sideways, ridiculous, ab ab abandoning the way of God, the will of God, and choosing to live in all sorts of treacherous behavior. You know, the same thing that we do. When we're, and, and that if we're not careful, we will do. Because none of us is above sin on our own. No. It's the Lord Jesus that allows us to overcome and rise above it, to be saved from it. But on our own, we don't have this under control. We can't do none of this. We need God to do. And so nevertheless, in the time of Ezekiel, the people, they still, they're just going sideways. They're still doing all kind of wickedness and unrighteousness. And it wasn't God's will that they be destroyed. And the word teaches us it's not his will that any should perish. God doesn't want people to just be destroyed. He wants you to turn from your sins and to live. And so what did he do before he enacted his justice, before he poured out his wrath, he sought somebody that would stand in the gap, someone that would make up a hedge, someone to do what Moses did. That's what you're looking at in Ezekiel. He was looking for somebody who to stand in the gap like Moses stood in the gap. Somebody to pray for somebody else. Somebody that was going to, the Lord said, give me a reason not to destroy them. Give God's saying, give me a reason to not wipe them all out. Give me a reason to not give them what they deserve. Is there anybody that will stand in the gap? Is there anybody that will plead their cause? Is there anybody that'll pray for somebody else? Is there anybody that will ask God to have mercy for somebody else? You see, family, we are commanded We are instructed 
to intercede for others. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, because this is heavy, and this is important. Some people are so hopelessly lost. All the while, they need prayer. Somebody to stand in the gap. Somebody to say, Lord, forgive them. Lord, help them. Lord, draw them. Lord, give them another chance. Lord, save them. And God looks for that. But we can become so disappointed that we don't even pray for people. We start taking on the role of the judge and we decide, you know what? They deserve what they're getting ready to get. I want them to get all of that. Well, hold on. Wait a minute. It may be that they deserve what's getting ready to happen. But they deserve it no more than you and I deserved it. When it was getting ready to happen for us, but God had mercy. Don't allow, allow your righteous indignation to burn so wildly out of control that you move from righteous indignation, which is to be angry about the things that God is angry about, and then you transition into becoming self-righteous. Now you're just mad using yourself as the gold star standard. And anybody that doesn't live up to that, you just mad and you want it, Lord, you want the Lord to just launch missiles and rockets and utterly obliterate it. Don't forget that you were a sinner and that you were saved by grace. Because, ma'am, sir, somebody prayed for you. And somebody's probably still praying for you right now. And so God looks for who's praying for somebody else. Who's praying for the one that don't deserve it? Who's praying for the one that don't earn it? Because no, they don't deserve it and no, they haven't earned it, but they still need mercy. Why? Because you needed it. Because I needed it. I know some of you are disappointed. And I know that some of you have been got a right to be disappointed. You have been done wrong and some stuff is just beyond. There probably are no words to even describe it. But all sin is vile and detestable to God, including your own. And the word of God tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. For the ungodly. He died for me and you. Why? Because. You needed help and you couldn't help yourself. I needed help. And he knew that I couldn't help myself. And his love for me and you was so strong. That he was compelled to spring into action for our good and not our hurt, even though hurt is what we deserve. But no, he didn't do that. He sprung into action for your good because he saw that you were in need of rescuing, but there was no one to rescue you. Ephesians 6 and 8, 18 says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Praying always. Supplication for all saints. It means you're praying for people. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 1. It says this, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. God desires 
that you and I be intercessors. It's not just personal supplication. There is time and there's a place for that. But I'll submit to you that if you're spending most of your time when you're praying, when you go into your prayer closet or you have your prayer time, if you are spending most of your time praying for just you and your family, then I want to tell you something. Your prayer life is, is, is too small. Your world is too small. Because the world consists of more than just you. And there are more people that need help, that need your prayers than just you and your family or those that are closest to you. It is time for some of you to expand your prayer horizon. God already know what you need. He know it so much that he told us, don't you even got to pray for it. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven is righteous and all these things, that stuff that you need, he said, it'll be added unto you. But do his will. Prioritize his way. God says, I got you. So I am freeing you from the need to spend all your time praying for yourself. You don't have to spend all your time praying for those that are closest to you. Those that are closest to you that are not saved are not the only ones that are presently headed to hell. This world is headed to hell. And we have got to be praying for everybody that we can that the Lord would save them and get a hold of their mind and draw them away from the, from the seduction of this world. You got to pray for more than just yourself and what you're comfortable. You got to break out of that. Got to break out of that circle. Your world is too small. If you're just praying for your church family, if you're just praying for those that you know, if you're just praying for those that you like, your prayer life has is, is got, got a problem. Your prayer, you going the wrong way. Moses interceded for the people. And we are commanded to intercede. In addition to the interceding for the people, though, Moses, in spite of what the people did, check this out. Moses, so this is in addition to interceding for the people. But Moses in spite of what the people did, didn't stop at intercession. Intercession and praying for others was just the beginning. See, I said, if you're just praying for yourself and that's it, you ain't doing it right. But that doesn't mean that you can't pray for yourself. You just can't spend all your time praying for yourself and nobody else. See, Moses, in spite of what the people did, he didn't stop at intercession, which is praying for other people. He went further and he chose to personally press in further to God. He chose to also, in addition to praying for others, to deepen his own relationship with God. And he did this by asking to see the face of God. Look at Exodus 33, look at 18 through 23. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. Watch God, though. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me that thou shalt stand upon a rock, <laughs> and it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cleft of the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Moses, look at verse 18. This was his request. 
The rest of that was God talking. But this first part, 18, Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. This is all after the fact, after the, 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 the tablets are all broken and all this other, and everything else. All of that. He didn't just pray for the people. But eventually he asked God, I want to see your face. This is before he goes up the second time, which is where our text picks up. Pursuing the face of God should be the pursuit of all children of God. All God's children should be pursuing the face of God. See, even though man can't see the face of God as is, you're not going to see if, see him face to face. Like that's not, that's not going to happen. Just as he told, just as he told Moses, there shall no man see me and live. That, that still stands. But watch this though. Even though man can't see the face of God as is, without some sort of covering on. God still commands us to pursue his face. Look at Psalms 27 and 8. A lot of people don't realize this. Even though we can't see God face to face like that, he still commands us. He still instructs us actually to pursue his face. Look at Psalms 27 and 8. When thou saidest, seek ye my face. Who is that? David is talking. David is saying, is responding and is highlighting or recounting something that God said. Mo, David says, when thou said, it's talking about God, seek ye my face. My heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Look at Hosea chapter five, verse 15, and then chapter six, verse one. Hosea chapter five, verse 15 through chapter six, verse one. Now, in case you didn't realize that verse 15 is the last verse in Hosea five. Amen. So it's only two verses. I will go and return to my place. This is God talking till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face in their affliction. They will seek me early. Chapter six, verse one, come and let us return unto the Lord for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. God wants us to seek his faith. God wants us to seek his face even though we can't see it as is, he still wants us to seek it. Why is that? Well, Jesus told us to seek first the kingdom of heaven. We read that in Matthew, we read that in Matthew 6, 33. Again, seeking God, seeking the things of God. This is the equivalent of seeking the face of God. Moses was instructed to again come up the mountain to receive the commandments of God. And where he would also see the backside of God. He wouldn't see the face. He would see the backside. He wouldn't see what he wanted to see. Watch this. But Moses' pursuit of the face of God would result in him seeing what God was willing to show him. His pursuit for the face of God would not result in him seeing the actual face of God. But it would result in him seeing something else 
some other aspect of God that God was willing to show him. You see, even though man cannot see the face of God as is and live, you know, he, the, the word is very plain. That's just not going to happen. God still commands us to pursue his face. And there's a reason why. He's not telling you to pursue his face so that he can, so, so that he can kill you. Now, let's get that out the way. He's not doing that. He's not telling you to pursue his face so he can destroy you. No, 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 no. But God still commands us to pursue his face. Because like with Moses, there's something else that God is willing to show us. And it's something that, like with Moses, is absolutely guaranteed to leave you changed. Because the encounter that Moses had with God left Moses changed. Look at Exodus 34, 29 through 35. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of the testimony of Mo testimony in Moses' hand, when he had come down from the Mount, that Moses was not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. He didn't realize that his face had began to give off a luminescence. It began to shine. Basically what that's saying. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out and he came out and spake unto the children of Israel, that which was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. Moses was not allowed to see the face of God. But although he was unable to see the face of God, his pursuit of God's face resulted in him seeing more of God than he had ever seen before. He didn't see his face, but he did see more of him than he had ever seen before. And he was unable to see God's face. But seeing more of God than he had ever seen before changed Moses' face. Glory to God. Glory to God. He didn't see God's face, but he got his own face changed. Why? Because he saw more of God than he had ever seen before. The encounter left Moses changed. And I want to tell somebody something. God wants an encounter with you. I'm going to say that again. God wants an encounter with you. Because encounters with the Lord leave 
us change. God desires to change some things. Ezekiel eleven nineteen says, and I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. Psalm 51 10 says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Second Corinthians 5 17 says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God wants to have an encounter with you because he wants to change you. But the question is, is do you want to be changed? Acts 2, 37 says this. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Do you want to be changed? Acts 16 and 29 says this. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And thy house, and they spake unto them the word of the Lord, and to all them that were in the house, and they took them that same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and were baptized, and said all this straightway, and when they had brought them into the house, he set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Do you want to be changed? Because the word of God certainly shows that for those that want it, God can certainly do it. All you got to do is repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And he'll give you the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, God wants an encounter. God wants an encounter. He wants you to pursue his face. Because no, he's not going to show you his face. But if you will pursue him, if you will come after him, if you will abandon your sins, he will leave you absolutely changed. How do you change? yourself, you surrender to God and you let him change you. God bless you, brothers and sisters. We're going to end there for today. And the next week we will pick this up and finish this up because we are now front and center right into our um, our text, which is Second Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. We're ready to pick that up. So this will end up being a three-part lesson. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Until next time, have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday.